0: We hot? All right. Uh, That was lovely, ladies. Thank you very much. Good morning, Chillicothe Bible Church. Glad to be with you here again, opening God's Word together with you. Uh, Last week, we looked at uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, We saw that uh, this letter is Peter's last words to the early church and and, uh, also uh, to us who follow after them. And in Uh, Chapter 1, Peter's focus is on making sure that people understand that being born again means, first of all, uh, living as a new creature in Christ, and second of all, basing your faith on the apostolic testimony of people like himself who saw and heard and experienced the ministry and the resurrection and the glorification of Jesus. And secondly, on the testimony of the, of the prophets, those men who spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit and whose uh, words were recorded in what became our Old Testament, and like Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Haggai and Joshua and Ezra and Nehemiah and all these folks, right, uh, that these are not things that they made up but these are things which God spoke through them uh, to be given to us, and our faith is based on the testimony of the apostles and the prophets. And it's not something that is just uh, invented or made up, but something which in fact is the Word of God. Now, uh, there's some great truth in just a few verses in chapter 1, and in chapter 2, Peter's going to make a turn, and he's going to say, now, look, I've told you about what is true? Now I'm going to start to identify for you what is false, because the thrust of Second Peter is about identifying and protecting the church from false teachers and their false teaching. And so he's going to make a turn uh, and start to talk about. Um, he's going to give us some warnings about false teachers because. Just as in Peter's day, there were false teachers, so there are false teachers uh, uh, alive and busy today. There are. And so Peter's going to give us some ways to identify them, uh, to uh, contrast what they teach with what the Scripture teaches, and so that we can be protected uh, from falling victim to false teaching. So uh, this book is as current as the news feed on your cell phone. In terms of how how it applies, it really is. Uh, There is false teaching running amok, even in the so-called evangelical church. And so this book is really important that we understand this. Uh, Peter starts out this way, chapter 2 of 2 Peter. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Now, Peter talks about in chapter one the reliability and the verifiable nature of the writings of the apostles and the prophets. And here at the beginning of of chapter two, he's just t- talked about the prophets. There at the end of chapter one, and so now he's going to say, "Look, but there's also another kind of prophets that are out there." If you, in fact, go remember back to Genesis three. God preaches, and his sermon is good. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and receive God's blessing and everything in the garden you may eat. But there's another one that comes in later in chapter 3, and he starts preaching too. And he says this, you will not surely die. For God knows in the day that you eat, you will have your eyes opened, and you will be like God. And which sermon gets believed? God's or the serpents? And what are the consequences and the results? Adam and Eve fall into sin, and the world is destroyed because of following false teaching. And Satan still has, Peter says, his preachers. He says there will be, there were, there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Uh, so all the way through the Old Testament, you can trace the line of you've got godly prophets and you've got false prophets. So in Moses and Aaron's day, you've got Nadab and Abihu, author unauthorized fire before the Lord. They're leading the people astray, even though they are sons of Aaron, even though they are priests. They're false in what they're doing. They're not following the way that the Lord had laid out. In, uh, In Elijah's day, during the reign of Ahab and Jezebel, you've got Little Elijah, and you've got 100 prophets of God hiding out in a cave. And little Elijah, who's going to stare down 450 prophets of Baal, the Canaanite fertility god, and the 400 prophetesses of Asherah, the Canaanite fertility uh, goddess that was connected with Baal. And he goes to have a showdown on Mount Carmel, which is believed to be where Baal lives let's go to his home territory and have a contest right and you've got one little dude against against 850 false prophets all the false teachers and they're and they're around in jeremiah's day you've got a man named hananiah and he is announcing to everybody while jeremiah is saying You better repent. You better go home, son. You better turn back to the Lord. You better worship him. Hananiah is saying, peace and safety. Oh, the the Babylonians will be overthrown. They'll return all the stuff they took from the temple. It'll be fine. All the way through your Old Testament, you find those who are the prophets of God and those who oppose them. Just as there were prophets, there were magicians in the court of Pharaoh who did some of the same miracles as Moses did by their secret arts, as the Scripture says. Peter says, look, the same thing is going to happen within the church. Just as there were false prophets among the people of Israel, and by the way, the false prophets did not arise from somewhere else. They were Israelite. Jewish false prophets. Peter says that within the church, there will also arise false teachers. Uh, And this is, by the way, not, not the only time this is mentioned in the New Testament. Paul says to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, after I leave, Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from among your own number. In other words, from among the elders, Paul says. Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. A lot of times false teaching becomes so convincing because the people who propagate it and spread it are Men who are supposed to be in positions of leadership within the church. And in fact, if you look at your classic liberals, the folks who went way off the rails, the number of them who were raised by pastors is staggering. Absolutely staggering. And some of the world's leading false teachers and proponents of the new atheism, as it's been called, were raised within churches it's from your own number that these people arise and Peter says because of that you've got to be careful you've got to watch out for them and when they bring in their teaching Peter says they're smooth about it uh, the word here that says they will uh, they will secretly introduce, Translates a word in in Greek that means to to bring in alongside or to infiltrate. I like spy movies. You know, you know, like the born identity and this kind of stuff, right? I love I love those kind of movies. Where you've got the double agent and who's on which side and who you know, you can't really tell what's going to happen and who's working for who and who's, on the, who's, who's the good guys and who's the bad guys until the very end, and then it all becomes clear. And one of the things that a spy does is they infiltrate an organization and they feed false information to that organization. And Peter says that's what a false teacher does. They come in, they act like one of your allies, they act like a friend, they they represent themselves as being orthodox, but they bring in alongside something false. And for that reason, Peter calls what they do heresy. In fact, that word heresy is just a transliteration in, into English of the Greek word heresy, and it means something different. It would be like, well, my my car takes gasoline, but we decided to fill the tank with something different. You know, uh, we decided to put put water in it. Uh, Will that work? No. Well, it looks the same, they're both clear liquids, but it's not the same. They bring in alongside something different, and it is destructive. Heresy is maybe not a word that we're, a lot of us, real comfortable with using nowadays. We don't like to call anybody a heretic, but Peter says what they teach is heresy. It's wrong. That's another word we're not real comfortable with in our culture, wrong. <laughs> okay. Um, but Peter says that it does matter what you believe. And that if you believe the wrong thing, that it is destructive to you. And that, it, that heresy actually destroys people. It it's, sucks the life right out of their faith. And he says, he says, in fact, that they, their heretical teaching even denies the sovereign Lord who bought them. What does that mean? Well, based on the rest of the Scripture, I don't think that Peter is teaching that these people were authentic believers who lost their salvation, because I don't think the Scripture teaches that that can happen. Uh, Over and over and over again, the Scripture affirms that a person who genuinely belongs to Christ cannot ever be cut off from Christ, that once they are adopted into God's family, they are permanently adopted and forever remain part of God's family. So what does he mean when he says that these men were bought by the sovereign Lord? I think what he means is this, that... Jesus Christ, in his death, paid for the sins, as the scripture says, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And so Christ, in his death, made salvation available for every person who ever has or will live. And so in that sense, they have been bought by Jesus, but they don't belong to him. And so they deny the faith and they deny Jesus. They, they might talk like Christians, they might use Christian words, but they, use, they mean something totally different from what the Bible teaches. And so they are denying the sovereign Lord who with his blood paid for their redemption. Now, they're not redeemed, as lots of people around the world are not. Even though salvation is available, you have to, by faith, according to God's grace, enter into a relationship with God, amen? But salvation is available to everyone. But a person must trust in Christ. And a person who does not do that, even though their salvation has been paid for, have not received it. And so Peter refers to them as being bought, but they deny Jesus. At the bottom line, reality, while these guys might claim to be Christians, while they might use Christian terms, the bottom line of their teaching is that they deny Jesus, even though they might talk a lot about him. What they teach and what Jesus taught are not the same, and so they deny the Lord. Uh, and according to verse two, it says that. Well, according to the end of verse one, it says that they are they are due for judgment on that basis because many people follow after them, and they will follow, it says, their shameful ways and bring the way of truth into disrepute. Now, I don't mean this to be really nasty, but just to be clear, what do you think of when I use the word televangelist? Okay. Uh, What I think of is this. I think of a guy who is wearing uh, clothes more valuable than my car, okay, who has a good line of blather and who is probably living an immoral life because over and over and over again, those guys have shown themselves to be immoral and to be greedy, and on top of that, to teach falsehood and their immoral greedy life brings the gospel into disrepute amen how many of you are old enough to remember when jimmy Swaggert fell into sin you remember that okay very public very nasty and all my friends you know what they did oh he's one of those christian guys like you and mocked me on the basis of jimmy swagger i'm like look i don't even listen to the dude i don't know who he is okay oh he's a, but he's a christian for all i know he is but he has he is a false teacher on a number of levels and his immoral life brought the gospel into disrepute and you can point to lots and lots and lots of examples. How about Jim Baker? Uh, how about Benny Hinn, who just had to pay the contract uh, with his media company for ha- carrying on an immoral relationship with Paula White, who's another one of those TV people? Okay? I'm not trying to pick on these folks. I'm just trying to say that their life is consistent with the scriptures that condemns what they do. And what they're teaching is false and it's poison. And it leads to destruction. And it leads people to bring the gospel into disrepute. It tarnishes the Christian church as a whole. I know that it, when I lived in Dallas, there was a guy who was part of one of these word faith churches. forget the guy's name. But he used to send out his appeal letters. He found out when the federal government office in, this, in the city of Dallas sent out Social Security checks to widows. And he timed his appeal letters to arrive in the mail on the same day so that he could make these emotional appeals to older widows and take advantage of their fact they had just gotten some money. Federal government put him in prison, but it brought the church in Dallas into disrepute because the assumption is that, well, all you Christian ministers, you're all greedy like that. And Peter says that, in fact, greed is, verse 3, the ultimate motivation for these guys. He says, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Now, let me, let me draw out a little word picture that's here in Greek that you might not get in English. Everybody know what an emporium is? An emporium is a shopping center, right? And the word exploit translates a Greek word that gives us uh, the English word emporium. Uh, it's a verb form of that noun, emporium. They turn the gospel into an emporium with stories they have made up, okay? And the made up translates the, these words, plastoise, logos, with plastic words, okay? In other words, let me just draw it out a little bit, okay? What Peter means is this, that they offer people a plastic, fake, imitation version of the truth, and they are willing to say anything to make a sale, for the sake of their greed. So whatever brings the checks in, they're willing to say. And they will make stuff up if they have to, so what? And it's, why do they do that? Because they're greedy. And they will make things And Peter says, their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction is not sleeping. And why does he mention destruction and judgment on these guys twice in three verses? It's because, as we'll see later in 2 Peter, one of the things that these false teachers are teaching is that there is no judgment. And so Peter says twice in these three verses... Not only is there a judgment, but these guys will be in it. And they they say, well, there has been no judgment, therefore there will be no judgment. There isn't really a judgment. Yes, there is. And Peter puts these guys at the front of the line to receive some. In fact, and by the way, and, and again, I don't mean this to be nasty, but just to be clear. Because I love you and because I'm your pastor and I want to protect you from this junk that is out there. But there is a guy who is a pastor of a large church up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. His name is Rob Bell. He wrote a number of books. Uh, One of them is called Velvet Elvis. He's got a new book out called Love, Love Wins. And what he teaches in that book is this. There is no hell. Nobody goes there if there is. And love, God's love just covers everybody. And so rapists and their victims both get to be in heaven. Jews who believed in Christ and died in the Holocaust and Adolf Hitler, they're in there together. Okay? He says there is no judgment, there is no hell. Everybody goes to heaven in the end. And love wins. But Justice loses. He's a heretic. He is using Christian terms and Christian vocabulary and a Christian Bible to spread false teaching. And it's going like wildfire. He's on the news a lot, getting inter- interviewed by ABC, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, Fox News. He's on everywhere. he's a heretic and one day he is going to experience god's judgment for that because jesus says there is a judgment and i'm inclined to go with the guy raised from the dead on this one you know somebody claims to speak from god don't believe him somebody claims to speak from god and raises from the dead got to take notes there are some interesting things about this fellow right and my 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 point here is not to pick on rob or pick on the televangelists or whatever but to say look this book right here is relevant because this kind of stuff is being propagated precisely like it was in peter's day And a lot of people in the evangelical church are being sucked in by it. And I don't want you to be. Because here's the reality. You may not know this, but 90% of all of the ingredients in decon rat poison are perfectly fine. 90% of it is is harmless. It's that other 10% that if you eat it will kill you. And a lot of what Rob Bell says, as an example, is true. True. But it's that other 10% of what he says that will kill your faith and will not lead you into a deeper and better and healthier relationship with God. And so I just say this stuff as a warning because Peter is warning us against these kind of guys. Uh, Let's move on, verse 4 through 10. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Now, Peter's going to give some examples because, again, these false teachers are teaching, well, there has been no judgment, and so therefore there will be no judgment. Peter says, uh, not only are they wrong on the second point, they're wrong on the first one. And he's going to give us three examples. God judged the angels when they sinned. Uh, Most commentators think that this is a reference to Genesis chapter 6. And the rise of the people we saw there when we looked at Genesis 6, the Nephilim, whether these are actual uh, angels that cohabit with human women or whether these are demon-controlled people who give rise to this race of fallen ones, um, I'm not exactly sure, but Peter says that when the flood came, that these people, these angels, the people were eliminated, but the angels can't be destroyed by a flood. So what happened to them? Peter says that God put them in what he calls, uh, well, it's translated hell, but it's, it's, the Greek word there is Tartarus, which is a prison for these evil angels. Uh, some people think this may be the same place that's referred to in Revelation as the abyss or the pit. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't have really. We don't really have enough data to go on. Might be the same place, but it, the idea is is that these angels were judged, and they are being kept in this place for the day of judgment, for the final day when they are cast into the lake of fire, Gehenna, hell. And so they're they're being punished now and their punishment continues until the day of judgment when they are finally and totally punished. And Peter says, and by the way, notice that also, example number two, the flood came and God punished the wicked and rescued the godly. And, And then on top of that, Third great example out of the same book of Genesis. God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, these wicked cities that were devoted to immorality. God destroyed them, but he rescued Lot. Now, this is interesting the parallel there between Lot and Noah. Noah is the, is the lone, right, righteous man by the grace of God. In his entire generation, all the people who are living on the earth are wicked except for this one little guy and his family, Noah. Now, Lot, on the other hand, he is the lone righteous person, but he is righteous in Sodom. And he, he is not to be admired for what he's done, right? Not many of us could probably live up to, to and be as righteous as Noah, But Lot, the guy who moves in to Sodom, who picks out a place for his family and decides, you know, Sodom looks pretty good. And he moves in, his daughters get engaged to Sodomite men, uh, who becomes part of the government of this corrupt, nasty place. Righteous Lot? Really? Righteous? Yes, according to Peter. And so you've got faithful believers and pretty carnal ones. God rescues them both. But the wicked go to their judgment. And I think also when he talks about, look, he gives three examples. All these are the if part of the argument. And the then part, the conclusion, is this, that God knows how to rescue godly people from trial and to hold the unrighteous for judgment day even while their punishment continues. I believe that the scriptures teach this, that when people die, they go to one of two destinations. They either go into the presence of the Lord or they go into a place of torment which is temporary, but which lasts until the, the day of judgment. Uh, and that their punishment continues until the day when they stand before God's great white throne and are ultimately judged and cast into the lake of fire. God rescues the godly from trial. And I also believe that it's possible that Peter is t- is talking when he talks about Rescuing the godly from trial, that he is using Noah and Lot as examples of what will happen at the end times. I believe that the Lord will return for the church prior to the period of time known as the Great Tribulation, be a seven year period when God's wrath is poured out on the people of the earth, and that the godly will be rescued. Before judgment falls, just as Lot and just as Noah were, and Peter is reminding us of that because he is telling us, "Look, God does judge, but He d- makes a distinction between His people and wicked people, just as He did with Israel and, the, and Egypt, just as He did with Lot and Noah, just as He did, uh, just as He did with them, He will do for us." He will rescue us from trial and deliver the wicked to judgment. Uh, And whether it's unquestionably godly men like Noah or whether it is questionably godly men like Lot, God rescues his people, those who belong to him, from judgment and delivers the wicked to judgment. But judgment is coming for sure. There will be a judgment. And just as surely as it came in the past for the angels and for the the world of the flood, and just as it came for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, someday it will come for the entire world. And it will be especially hard on those who pursue their sinful nature and who reject and despise authority, according to um, Peter's words here. Okay, uh, And I think he's referring to these false teachers again because they pursue their immorality and their greed, but they reject the authority. And I think he means they're the authority of the Lord and of the Scriptures. That when you cut yourself off from following Jesus, when you cut yourself off from obeying his word, then you are lining yourself up to be judged. And this is a hard passage. I'm not going to lie to you, okay? In the scope of the New Testament, this is a passage with some Cajun seasoning on it. (laughs) All right? This is... This, in 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 terms of our day and the culture in which we live, when we are post-Christian, post-modern, uh, you know, post-everything kind of generation of people, you know, where we all kind of kind of live in, uh, you know, the um, you know what Kurt Cobain famously sang as the "whatever, never mind" generation, right? Uh, that nothing really matters and there is no truth and it doesn't really matter what you believe, whatever blows your hair back is fine. Peter says, no. It does matter what you believe. It does matter whether or not the person who is teaching you what they teach follows the scriptures and follows the Lord. And that if they don't, that they will be judged. And if you follow them, it's destructive to you. And a pastor's job and Peter's job is, is to do three things, okay? Is to feed the sheep, protect the lambs, and shoot the wolves. And Peter's desire here and my desire here this morning is to shoot the wolves and to make sure you can tell the difference between someone who is teaching the Scriptures and someone who is throwing alongside something different than what the Scripture says. Because it will, if you follow that jump, destroy your faith. So, just a couple words of encouragement here as we close. And we're going to have Rick come and sing, and we're going to be a little more joyful. I know this is pretty somber stuff. all right. But, a couple things, okay? Number one, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, of whatever age, whatever stage of life you're in, whatever point you're at in your Uh, relationship with God, know this. You've got to train yourself to distinguish truth from error because sometimes it isn't easy to tell, particularly when people come in alongside and they infiltrate the church and they represent what they're teaching as biblical. You've got to, as we teach all the kids at Awana, what's the theme verse for Awana, right? 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, that you understand the difference between truth and error. How do you know? Practice, study. So that just like a banker who can count out a a, a string of, of, uh, of greenbacks, and ooh, this one feels a little different. I think this one is counterfeit, we ought to be able to identify truth from error. And then on top of that, we've got to reject, 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 reject false teaching. We don't entertain it. We don't play with it. We don't read it. We don't, well, this guy has some interesting insights and kind of, Well, you really ought to read this because, I mean, you know, he's saying things really in an interesting way. No, you reject that stuff so that you don't get sucked into it. I'm not saying that you should never have any awareness of what some of these guys teach. You should, but so that you can reject it. Not so that you can explore it and have a conversation with it, right? Because I'm not against a conversation. I'm I'm married. I have two girls. I have had them. Okay, <laughs> um, but remember that the world was plunged into sin through a conversation with the serpent. So you have to be wary of your conversation partner. Amen. So, learn to identify what's true and reject what's false. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth, your utterly reliable word in the Scriptures, which not only goes forth powerfully converting men and women, boys and girls of all cultures and generations and places and languages. But it informs us how to recognize truth from error, food from rat poison, and that which leads to life and growth and health in the body of Christ and in our own lives, and that which does not, that which destroys all those things. And, Father, we pray that we would be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, would be wise about what is good and innocent of what is evil, that we would not pursue that which dishonors you and brings the gospel into disrepute. And, Father, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.